0: Just before we get into this week's episode, keep an ear out for a special discount code that will be revealed somewhere in this episode. It will give you a 50% lifetime discount on all of the toolkits on usebecause.com. You'll still get your month for free. You can take your month for free and sign up to that free month with the 50% discount. That 50% discount will be there whenever you come back with that same email address. So all you need to do is sign up, get the month for free. Use the discount code that will be revealed to you at some stage during this episode. Use that, and then you have locked in a 50% discount for the rest of your life. Okay, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Use Because podcast. Deeper learning from the best business minds to have ever put pen to paper. The Book of Tales by Peter Collette is the focus of this week's episode. And it's an interesting book for a number of reasons. One, well, this guy, first of all, Peter Collette, he was the, in the UK, he was the big brother resident psychologist. He was the guy who would talk about, you know, body language and what they were really saying and all that kind of thing. And that's always a fascinating topic. We all want to be able to spot when somebody is you know, being untruthful or somebody is holding back or somebody is nervous but not necessarily saying it. All of those things are useful. What's somebody actually saying when they're not using their words and they're actually, their body language is, is giving them away. And that's what this book is about. But one of the reasons I say that it's an interesting book is because I'm not sure I agree with all of it that's in it. Now, the reason I've decided to do this book is because it's a great complement to a different book that we covered on the podcast called The Truth About Lying by uh, Stanley, uh, I want to say Stanley uh, Walters, Stan Walters, that's it, it's by The Truth About Lying by Stan Walters. And I actually believe that that book, The Truth About Lying, is a a better, deeper version of of how to read body language in that other book the the truth about lying he he's really talking about how to spot when somebody is uh being untruthful and his approach in the in that book and it's we'll get into why this book that we're doing today is a little bit different but the the way he covers it in the other book is it's almost like you start off with a blank canvas or you know a very wide funnel or something like that and you're slowly kind of getting closer and closer to what somebody what, what the actual truth is or what they're really concealing. In this book, The Book of Tales, he is talking about body language and what it means, but he's leaving out, I think, I think he's leaving out context. Like say, for example, in in The Book of Tales, he talks about how uh, somebody scratching their nose uh, is an unconscious way of uh, somebody, you know, not wanting the truth to come out—that kind of thing. Whereas in the other book, the Truth About Lying, he talks about, well, what's the context of somebody scratching their nose? What if they just have an itchy nose? And he talks more about how to decide what's their their baseline behaviour, uh what's the change from that behaviour. Do you just see the changes and clusters and so on? It goes on like that. There's there's levels to what he's saying, but that's not to say that the book of tells can't teach us something as well. His point is that there, it's almost like a, what are the things that you can look for? What are the things that people do? And he talks then, and later on in the book, he talks about how to interpret what people say or what people do with their body And uh, through their culture as well. Like for example, the way Italian people are more expressive with their hands, whereas um, British people or Irish people, they might be more reserved. They might not necessarily uh have wild gesticulations the way um some stereotypical italians might so he's talking about how to understand and actually as well as as well as those kinds of cultural differences he's talking about how we grow up watching those around us and how we kind of learn uh ticks if you like or we learn uh gestures from those people as well so it, it it's just it, it's like a lens to see that somebody's behavior through as well so in the book he talks about lots of lots of different lots of different uh tells that exist so he talks about like uh, dominant tells and submissive tells uh, tells during conversations political tells right which to me are so obvious they're boring right watching a politician um try to be a uh, young and vigorous and uh full of vitality and health it's too, it's too, it's too obvious what politicians are doing all the time. And they won't answer a question uh, when they're asked. It's that kind of thing. He talks then about uh, greeting tales, like how to how to get a, an initial read on somebody when you first greet them, and then obviously how to to uh, spot when somebody is lying as well. But again, everything he says in this book, he seems to leave out context. It seems to me that. Like say for example he might talk about a greeting tales like the the different types of handshake that exist um and i think he has like eight different types or something like that one is a, a, a bone crusher right somebody you know somebody who shakes your hand and they try to crush you into dust when they're shaking your hand that's a show of strength right so that's the the person who's trying to be dominant and trying to be in control but it depends on the so that's that's like one thing to watch for right when when you're when you're meeting somebody like do they have a really strong handshake and we all know that people know handshakes that are um you know really there's a difference between somebody who's trying to crush your bones and somebody who just has a firm handshake so he's talking about the difference between the two of them but he's not necessarily talking about the the context in which they are uh, shaking your hand so actually one thing just to keep in mind um my friend's dad taught me and all the lads this years ago when we were teenagers if somebody does try and crush your hand if you put your when you're shaking hands or something if you put your index finger along their wrist they won't be able to crush your hand so um somebody can squash your hand as much as they like but if your finger is like along the inside of their wrist as you're shaking hands they won't be able to crush your hand there you go that's for free so uh anyway so th- that's one of the things that he talks about is like the 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 greeting tales. one is the the bone crusher uh w- one is the limp handshake so the limp handshake is the person what he's saying there is that the person is disengaged but i would think if somebody has a limp handshake they may just never have learned how to shake hands or they just have never even considered it or they could be really really uh shy or they could be really timid or uh, lacking in confidence he says that when somebody has a limp handshake it means they're disengaged is that true is or not i think it depends on the context firm handshake then um somebody is open and expressive and he says that they're emotionally expressive if they are have a firm handshake and i i would ag- i would actually agree that somebody with a firm handshake has they haven't happened upon it they haven't just happen to have a, a good firm handshake. I think somebody decides to have a firm handshake or somebody has thought about their handshake and how it'll be interpreted by other people. Olympus a, li- a limpet, <laughs> we've all met this person. A limpet is the person who won't let go. Um, that can be a control thing as well. Uh, there's there's nothing stranger than when somebody will not let go of your hands and you're just basically standing, holding hands with somebody. Um, it's it can be a form of it can be a form of domination and the reason i'm hesitating there is because all of these things and and i guess the approach he's going for in this book all of these things really tell us something to watch for right so as you're greeting somebody like if you're looking to read their body language straight away, you have to know what am I looking for? Well, one thing you can look for is their handshake, and what you can do is you can you can you can combine what he says in this book with what Stan Walter says in his book, The Truth About Lying, and, and the two things together, then uh, you can you can start to uh, to really get a read on somebody, I suppose. Anyway, the limpet is somebody won't let go, and in this book he says it's all about control, and when I was reading that, I, I remember watching this documentary on. world war two and watching hitler going around shaking hands with his generals or whoever it was the people who report to him and there was one handshake that they show and they actually in the documentary they're talking about how hitler is just terrifying this guy he shakes hands with him and he makes eye contact and he just will not let go he just maintains hitler maintains eye contact and maintains the handshake and just keeps going and going and going and he's—that's totally about control. Like you don't need to be a body language expert to, to understand what's happening there. He's just dominating this guy. It's just—it's its such a strange thing to see to, to put that kind of fear into another person just through uh, maintaining a handshake and maintaining eye contact. Uh, it's a weird one. So, but I'm not saying that people that don't let go or are all are, are, are like Hitler. But, <laughs> um, but if somebody doesn't let go of your hand, or somebody, somebody. Uh, holds on for too long it can be it can be something for you to be aware of to think well why did they do that is it that they just don't know how to shake hands maybe it could be a young person who doesn't necessarily know how to shake hands or is it a control thing, again like you look at somebody like Trump who uh, yanks people towards him I don't know if you've ever seen that but you should look up uh, Donald Trump's handshakes and how uh, it was it Justin Trudeau I think the the, uh, the Canadian Prime Minister did not let him win that handshake they just crushed each other's hands and uh wouldn't let he basically planted his feet and wouldn't let Trump pull him towards him it was uh it was really interesting uh then he talks about like uh clammy ones right somebody's nervous, somebody' has, like clammy hands but there's like you know conditions where people have uh, sweaty palms anyway the reinforced or the the relocated is what he talks about actually the relocated is the trump one where he relocates you so it can be a, a, a pull, somebody pulling you towards you or it can be a push. Either they can get a push on your hand and that's about dominance and control as well. Uh, he talks about the, the the upper handshake and that's the one where somebody, uh, so if you're shaking hands with your right hand, your hand is kind of like parallel to the other person's. But sometimes if you imagine kind of turning, turning the palm of your hand down towards the ground, that can be a show of dominance as well again it all depends on context but this is what he's saying in the book is that uh, if somebody does kind of look to put their hand on top of the handshake as in like to rotate the hands so their palm is facing the ground that can be a show of dominance as well but um, again just things to look for just things to watch out for while while you are in the process of greeting somebody he talks then. actually I've, I've kind of skipped into the book there talking about the, the greeting tales but he talks about at the beginning of the book uh he actually talks about four conditions that exist for uh for a tale to actually exist he says it should be an activity right it should be something that actually happens so it's a emotion a, a movement uh, uh something they say uh, or even something that they don't say it must reveal something about the person uh, it must be noticed, right? Uh, big is obvious. So it, it has. it's not a tale unless somebody notices it. And the significance of it must be recognised. So it must be interpreted by the person who's reading the tale as well. So that's uh, all very important stuff to keep in mind. He talks then about different types of tales, right? So like we talk about the greeting tales and the, the dominant and submissive tales. But then there is things like uh, false tales. So a false tale or... A counterfeit tell is somebody who is say for example biting their lower lip to pretend that they're trying to to disguise the real tell so it's almost like a double bluff uh, they're aware that tells exist and they're maybe biting their bottom lip pretending that they don't want to uh, to give something away but really um it's a false tell he also talks then about signature tells. so signature tell is <laughs> i don't know if you're if <laughs> My, I remember when, when when we were kids, my, if my mother was really angry, you knew when it was like, okay, the joke's over now, just leave the room. <laughs> We've pushed it too far. You always know when your parent is uh, is upset or angry or, or or happy or whatever it is. Same with your, your partner or your boss or your friends. There's just these signature tells that people have. Um, and they have to be kind of filtered out as well from... Uh, if you don't know the person, is this just something that they do all the time like I said, are what what Stan Walters in his book would call a uh, baseline behavior right So this is just how they act when they're they're normal. Um, so dominant tells then he talks about a dominant tell. He and this is I, I, this is well known right a, a dominant tell somebody who's being dominant or wants to display dominance will take up more physical space. Right. The example I've always used previously is to think about how Superman stands. So as soon as I say how Superman stands, you're probably thinking of feet wide apart, hands on his hips, but not his hands. It's usually his fists on his hips. Right. He's taking up physical space. And that's what dominant people do. Dominant people will uh, they'll take up physical space and they'll also then try to control your space. So it could be when they're shaking hands with you, they put a hand on your shoulder. Um, sometimes what they can do, and you've seen the the double handshake, or if somebody shakes hands with you and then puts their their free hand over both of your hands that are shaking, that can be dominance, but it can also be uh, it can also reflect somebody who's really genuine. Or if somebody shakes hands with you and just kind of pats you on the upper arm, that can be a show of dominance, or it can be a show of uh, of genuine affection. So how do you know the difference? Well, the way the way you have to know the difference is that all it is 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 one data point, right? It's 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 one point of interest, and it's almost like you add that into your folder for for the read that you're going to get on this particular person. All it is is something for you to notice about the person and kind of think, well, what did that mean? Um, are they genuine or are they trying to be dominant? So if somebody is taking up lots of physical space, let's imagine you're going for a job interview and you are uh sitting across from somebody who has their hands behind their back legs spread wide that's a show of dominance and then they're putting their hand on your shoulder while they're shaking hands you. like well there's two shows of dominance but if somebody shakes hands with you and just gently pats your your upper arm in a in a friendly way and then sits you know in a normal way in the chair. Well, that's probably a show of, of genuine affection or genuine uh, authenticity or something like that. So it's all about kind of understanding. <laughs> I should I should have said at the very start. It's all about understanding that as human beings we are terrible at reading people's uh, body language. So you have to be you have to step through it very very carefully. The code for getting. 50% lifetime discount for this particular episode is TELS50, T-E-L-L-S-5-0. A 50% discount for life as well as the one month free at the very beginning, forever. So go to com and at the checkout put in tells 50 He also talks then about dominant tells in how we talk as well. So... And again, this isn't, this isn't rocket science, right? When somebody is dominant in the conversation, they generally use less ums and ahs when they're talking. They'll generally talk slower and they have no problem interrupting. You've all seen people give presentations where they just don't have the confidence for it, right? They're umming and awing and they're almost apologetic in how they're, they're putting their, their presentation forward. And that kind of, that can that can really affect the audience as well, where you just kind of feel uncomfortable watching the person being uncomfortable. A dominant person uses a lower pitch, a lower tone of voice. And in fact, if there's any salespeople out there listening to this and you struggle to get past the gatekeeper, uh, the receptionist or the, the personal assistant to the person you want to talk to, if you ring up and say, let's say you want to talk to John Smith and you say, hi, it's uh, Kevin here. I'm looking to speak to John Smith. They'd say, who should I say is calling? Uh, and you go it's uh, Ke- uh, Kevin Reppant. Right, you're probably not going to get through to the gatekeeper if you don't know them. But if you do it this way, they say, hello, uh, Acme Inc., <laughs> whatever the business is called. And they say, you say, uh, I'd like to speak to John Smith. And they say, Who should I say is calling? And then you take a, a little pause and you say It's Kevin. There there if you if you have if you belong there, if you like if you just expect to be put through, if you have that dominance. What well, doesn't work every time, but sometimes it does work. If you just expect to be put through as if like why are you even asking who I am? There's a much better chance of you getting past the gatekeeper. Uh, like I said, it doesn't always work but it's, uh, it's good fun practicing those things as well. So dominance is, and again, here's another example. Think about uh, any mafia movies you've ever watched, right? Is it Goodfellas when they talk about Paulie? Paulie doesn't need to move fast for anybody. And it's true, all people who are in control and who are dominant, they don't move fast, they don't talk fast, they don't apologize while they're talking they don't say um and uh ah, and generally they don't say i think think about that one a lot of people will say eh, i think maybe um that maybe we should just that's that's a submissive person a dominant person says this is what this is what i believe we should do don't and it's a, it's a it's a habit i'm in as well i say i think a lot and i try not to it's something that i deliberately practice not doing is to is to not say i think if i'm sure about something or if it's my opinion on something then i say this is my opinion if you say i think it means i doubt myself and it shows a lack of dominance not that you have to be dominant all the time but you can be dominant in the way that shows that you're it's a uh, it's halfway to confidence if you like So yeah, so think about that as well then he goes on to talk about submissive tales so submissive tales is when people are kind of essentially the opposite of being dominant so you can th- you can think about all of these tales in terms of yourself and in terms of other people as well what's the what am i putting out into the world and again to to refer back to the, the, the truth about lying he talks about uh there's basically seven keys to, to reading somebody or to, to know somebody is lying and one of them is what he calls contamination now contamination sounds like a negative thing but it's not really it's it's more about what am I putting out into the world if I'm in a conversation with somebody whether it's a somebody who's a direct report to me or if I'm talking to my manager or if I'm in a sales conversation what kind of energy am I putting out into the into the world or out into this conversation what's the contamination so think about how you are uh, impacting a conversation if if you're being submissive or dominant or if you're not if you're being too dominant and let, not allowing other people to you're kind of making other people coward doesn't mean that they're not capable of of being right, it's that they just might be intimidated by somebody who's being too dominant. And again, just to, to to reiterate the point, there's there's lots of things to look for in a conversation, lots of things to to keep in mind, and this is just some of them. Other things that people do when they're being submissive is they can they can do self-comforting things. Like if you know if you're you know, if you suddenly realise you've made a mistake you go, Oh my God, what's the gesture you think of when you do that? It's that putting the hands up behind the back of your head, you go, Oh my god, I'm after messing that up. That's a self comforting thing. The idea behind that self comforting, and this seems to be universal, again, depends on the context, but it seems to be universal for most people that they will they will self comfort in that way. Um and it's it comes from when whoever looked after you when you were a baby your parents or whoever it was would hold the back of your head and that was very comforting for for a baby other things that people do is that they other things that people do is that they hold their own hand right so they could be interlinking their fingers or uh another thing which is really interesting when you talk about head tilts you know if you're in a pub or or you know packed restaurant back in the day when remember restaurants and pubs when they were packed but let's say you're, you're something like that and you need to get through two people who are having a conversation you have to walk in between them you generally tilt your head towards the ground and that's not one i'd ever thought of before before reading that book and it's so true that as you're walking through two people as you're interrupting their conversation they both kind of take a little step back and you you apologize but you always kind of tilt your head towards the ground and that's a, that's a very submissive thing like it's a it's apologetic but you'll see that in other aspects of 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 your life of, of business as well where people kind of dip their head down and that's something that can tell you something about what a person really thinks you add that into your mix you add that into your fold about what they're they're possibly uh, thinking about so the head tilt or he also talks about the head can't right as in you kind of expose your neck um, and it can make you look smaller supposedly, I don't know if I agree with that one uh, but he talks about the, the head cant um, where you kind of uh, put your head back conversation tells and he talks about this is something that I wish everyone knew is how to interrupt a conversation or how to uh, allow other people to talk you know if somebody is giving a presentation and Sometimes there'll be some like, I mean, I don't mean a presentation to thousands of people, I mean a presentation to five or 10 people. And sometimes there's people who just keep interrupting the presenter. They're not, they're not looking for the, the unspoken rules for when it's okay to interrupt. So, for example, if I'm given a presentation, and I don't want anyone to interrupt. I might do a very small gesture with my hand and kind of like, you know, look at the person and kind of like raise my eyebrows and go, as in I'll take that question now in a second or I'll, 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 I'll I've heard your comment. I'll address it in a minute, but let me just finish my point. I'm saying all that without, without saying it out loud. Other things that people can do if somebody wants to interrupt me without just like some, what I mean is that some people just start talking because they had a thought and now it has to get out into the world and everyone has to hear it. Whereas the better way to do it is almost kind of like, you know, that kind of sharp intake of breath that people do like, like just and they kind of raise a finger and maybe raise their eyebrows. That kind of thing gives an indication without saying anything that I'd like to interrupt. I'd like to make a point. And then what I'll do is the presenter is I'll yield to that person. So I might kind of like nod at them and kind of raise my eyebrows and kind of make eye contact with them as if like, go ahead. These are all the conversation tells that you're looking for both when you're like, I'm just giving the example of a presentation, but these are the kind of things that should be happening in one-on-one meetings as well. They're the kind of things you're looking for, for when somebody does want to interrupt or when somebody, uh, wants to keep talking, right? Somebody doesn't doesn't want to yield the floor basically. But here's one thing to keep in mind is that (laughs) this is, this is a great one in conversations that, uh, he calls it a linguistic bunker right which is a great phrase a linguistic bunker is when somebody kind of shields themselves from your attack and they shield themselves from your attack by starting off with i don't mean to be rude but you know that you know that <laughs> there's nothing more irritating because it they've protected themselves by saying i don't mean to be rude but i'm about to be rude right and, they, and everybody knows what that means but it's a linguistic bunker, which is a fantastic, uh, <laughs> it's a fantastic, fantastic phrase. Don't let people use that on you. Just because somebody says, I don't mean to be rude, or I don't mean to be short, or I don't, just because they say that, and then they go on to say something rude, they haven't, it's not like a, uh, kids playing and where they're in den right and they oh, can't touch me I'm in den right I said the magic word so now you can't get annoyed at me get annoyed if you think well actually I understand you don't want to be rude but it is rude what you just did so like I've given presentations before where somebody years ago I'll give a quick story years ago I used to uh, deliver study skills to to teenagers and uh, then I'd kind of do stuff in the evenings for their parents as well and kind of you know bring the whole thing together but then sometimes we'd have to teach this stuff to the teachers so if you imagine i was maybe in my late 20s talking to people or telling people how to teach who had been teaching longer than i had been alive and you can imagine how it went they've been in education for 20 or 30 years arms crossed looking over their 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 glasses at the end of their nose looking looking at me kind of who does this guy think he is telling me how to what's the expression, telling, teaching our granny how to suck eggs, right? It was uh, daunting, to say the least, but after a while I realised, you know what, I'm here and I do know this stuff, and you may know it or you may not. If you do know it, great, you can audit what you already know. If you don't know it, then you should listen. And a few times people had said, you know, I don't mean to be rude, but, and I would reply going, well, I understand you're not meaning to be rude, but now you've interrupted everyone by uh, by saying something kind of snide, and it's, you know, it hasn't helped anybody. And uh, that would usually put them back in their box, but uh, I don't let people use those kinds of linguistic bunkers on me because uh, it's they're not magic words. Just because I've said I don't mean to be rude, uh, you're still being rude. One of the now it, there's a few chapters I skipped in this book because they're not really relevant. Um, I'm just going to get the book here. I'll just check. What are the ones I skipped? Uh, the reason I skipped them is because I just don't not relevant. Those royal tales, right? <laughs> How, how royal people like as in the royal family uh i don't know like they how they uh, what they mean when they do their, their weird little waves and stuff and then sexual tells not really that interesting to me and um, for this particular uh <laughs> format and smoking tells who even knows what that is right when people are smoking yeah, uh, but the one i'm going to finish on is uh how he ta- he talks about Uh, lie tells on how to spot a liar and again this is the one if you're interested in spotting lying I recommend you listen to my other podcast on the truth about lying by Stan Walters it's a great book on uh, the seven keys to look for but anyway in this book he talks about uh, how to spot a liar and he says that sometimes people think that a lack of eye contact is how you tell somebody's lying because they can't make eye contact because they're feeling guilt but actually and it's, this is something that's across both of those books, Truth About Lying and this one, The Book of Tales. Uh, somebody will sometimes make more eye contact because they, they're they they're trying to convey their sincerity. And it can almost be like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy or something like that, where they'll uh, make eye contact because um, that's how I'm sincere. But then they're making so much eye contact, it just gets a bit weird and a bit... That sounds a bit strange what you're saying there. Another thing he says uh, is the nose tells you know, if you're touching your nose, you're covering your mouth, it suggests a lie. It may or it may not, but and um, it kind of depends on the scenario, it depends on the situation. And the truth about lying goes into a lot more detail about that. This one is true though the smile tells the duration of a smile. Tell you can tell when somebody is lying or uh there's something off about what they're saying or doing if the smile is too long or it's too quick so if it's too long as in uh the he talks about the assembly of the smile uh if it if it happens really quickly and it disappears really quickly uh there's something off about that you know and and, and I've, it's, it's, I've never been able to i've never really been able to figure out you know when you see somebody and you're talking to them and they break into this wide smile while they're making their point and i go i don't know why you're smiling it's just it's just, why are you smiling <laughs> it's just strange it's like uh buddy the elf right? i feel like, oh smiling's my favorite but why like i don't understand sometimes i just don't understand it they break into this wide smile as they're talking like that the smile disappears just as quickly the strange thing, and then he talks about how to. Um, another thing that people will say uh, is they'll use disclaimers you're not going to believe this, or I know this sounds strange, but and then they go on with their lie. Great way to spot um, somebody telling a lie, especially your kids, is whatever story that they have concocted, get them to tell it backwards because liars only ever practice their story in chronological order and they can't do it out of sequence, and they'll start tripping themselves up, so that's when you see people on those uh, uh, cop shows, those detective shows, they won't just ask them, tell me what happened, and tell me what happened, and tell me what happened, they'll start at the end, and so what happened before that, and so so at the very beginning, this happened, and they'll ask them questions in lots of different ways, and see if their story makes sense, if it's the truth, all you have to do is remember it, if it's in any way false you've constructed this narrative you constructed the story and you're trying to remember the order in which your your lie goes and that's why uh, your story can be easily picked apart if it's told backwards or if you're asked to tell it backwards and you can't so there you go um so i think probably a bit of a shorter uh, episode this week i think ultimately this is a good book it's not a brilliant book that's what i would say now which is Counter to to what I say most of the time about the I say every book that we that we do and this 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 podcast is is amazing and brilliant. This is the first one I've read in a while that was good but not brilliant. It was good enough to to talk about it on the podcast but not brilliant. What I'd leave you with is this: is that when it comes to 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 reading body language, you have to know what to look for, and people are giving you information all the time in how they stand, in how they talk, in how they shake your hand, in how they uh, use language, in how they sit in a chair, in how they physically interact with you, all that kind of thing. So this book is kind of almost like a, a an index of what to look for. And the other book that we did, The Truth About Lying, is, uh, is more about uh, how to interpret that or how to how to kind of put put layers onto it i've got plans to do loads more books on uh, body language and how to read them but if you do have any if you do have any suggestions uh, let me know just send them straight to me kevin at use com, and uh, we'll add them to the list of um, of books that we'll cover and that's it so tell two people you know about use com or uh listenership, whatever you want to call it, or downloads are getting really good now, I have to say. It's, um, it's very humbling for this many people to be listening to the podcast, so I appreciate each and every one of you. So thanks very much, until next time. Hey, before you go, just a quick message about usebecause.com and what we're all about. We believe that true learning happens when you understand, remember, and deliberately practice your newly acquired knowledge. So with that in mind, you can get access to our purpose-built learning tools to help you do just that. To really embed the knowledge from this episode, take a look at the interactive summary that goes along with it. And then use the action log to set a time and a date to go out into the big bad world and deliberately practice the key takeaways from this episode. You do all that and you get yourself a certificate of completion. So try all our tools for all of our episodes, free for a month, you can cancel any time. For all of this, and all of the podcast episodes, head over to usebecause.com. Until next time.